Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in today. We have a special guest, casting director, casting associate, Alan Cooper. Come on on, Alan, and let's have an awesome chat today about the world of casting. Hi. Hello. How are you? I'm excellent. How are you today? I'm excellent as well. Thank you so much for coming on board. I want the world to hear all about you, how you got started, and just a short version of how you got started, but about the world of casting so we can help actors, um, you know, understand it better, what's expected of them, how they should behave in the room or on Zoom or on their tapes. Okay, take it away. Tell us. Okay. Well, uh, my biography in hopefully uh, five seconds or less. Yes. I, <laughs> uh, born in Alabama, raised in Georgia, grew up in Atlanta and wanted to pursue acting. So I moved out to Los Angeles uh, about 20 years ago. And in trying to figure out uh, better things to do with the acting world, I interned at Ulrich Dawson Kritzer. And that led to me starting to pursue a career in casting. And then I got very fortunate about 15 years ago, uh, getting an interview with Jeff Greenberg. And he hired me and the rest is history. The rest is history. You've been, you did Modern Family for how many years? 11. So from the pilot to the finale. And let me ask you something. For the pilot, into the, into the how it rolls out to a series, when you're casting a pilot, do you have an inkling, do you get a feeling like this is good, this is good, and it's going to go into series? Do you get that feeling? Yeah, I will say I got that feeling with everything I would read for the most part. I'd be like, you know, I, I would see the good in it or I would see, you know, the positive in it. Yeah. But when I read the Modern Family script, there was just something special about the script. But I had worked on enough things at that point to realize you just never know. You just never know. So when you're casting a pilot versus casting all those hundreds of roles that you cast when it was a series, how is that process different? Uh, it's, it's different because of the amount of time you spend finding those series regular roles. You know, co-star role, we might take 24 hours to find. Mm. You know, guest star role, you know, usually you have the luxury of the guest star and the co-stars having a week, yeah. you know, if you're lucky. With uh, the Modern Family pilot, normally a pilot takes 10 weeks. We actually spent 12 weeks finding everybody uh, because a number of reasons. A big one, and everybody's probably heard this story. Uh, oh. Ty Burrell, who they wrote the role of Phil for Ty Burrell. Oh, I didn't know that. I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, Chris Lloyd and Steve Levitan had worked with him previously. Mm. And they, the prototype for Phil Dunphy was Ty Burrell. And he auditioned three times, 200 wow. other actors read, and then ABC finally approved him in the 12th week of casting. No way. I had no idea. So they put his prototype and he still had to audition. They didn't just go to him and say... This is what we envision? Yep. How come? How come? Uh, well, the big part uh, was primarily he, Ty had done a pilot the year before that had not gone. Mm. And it was not the best, you know, depending on your point of view. And mm. sometimes, you know, those moments stick with the studio executives and they remember somebody from that, not what the producers know that they're perfect at. And it just causes a disconnect. That's interesting. So his work was always so great, which he's so hilariously funny and layered and mm -hmm. delicious. So they were thinking, this, not that necessarily the producers, but the, the, the network. So in a pilot, you have to get network approval. Can you tell us a little bit about that? For yeah, this was, 
this was old school because everybody was still reading live. A lot of the tests today, they'll put you on tape and then show the tapes around. Uh, but it still basically works the same is because they knew they wanted Ty. I don't think he even went to the studio. I think he went straight to network. Uh, but just sorry, to back up for everybody, you go in for a pre-read with casting, then mm -hmm. you get called back for producers, or maybe you go straight to producers. And then for a series regular role, mm -hmm. after the producers have seen you and they want you or like you, and you're one of the people they're gonna present the studio and network, they put a deal in place and you actually sign the deal knowing how many tens of thousands of dollars you're gonna make for this pilot before you go audition again for the studio. Everything's and, set in place before. So there's, yeah. so all the, the dots, that the, everything's been secured. Correct. They know how much they're gonna pay for you if they choose you as the actor. Mm. So, and different people get different quotes, different. Yeah, and we don't really know the, we don't know the quotes anymore because of the California law that made it illegal to base salary decisions on what people made previously. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so like two or three years ago, we stopped getting quotes for actors on pilots. Used to be we'd get the quote of what they had done previously. Yeah. You know, if they hadn't done a pilot before, they were just no quote. And we'd have to confirm it. And then that would go to the studio business affairs and they would start negotiating from there. But now it's all, what does the actor expect to make? <laughs> You know, oh, and interesting. I had no idea it was like that. I always thought it was based on a quote from previous. Well, obviously, duh. There's, if there's no previous, there's no quote. But I always thought that. So that's changed. Yes. They, they were doing it because they thought it would make pay equal through the, between the genders, primarily, mm -hmm. because they thought the men had had unfair advantages and had a higher quote. And then a female actor would come along and do a comparable job, but be paid less because her quote was less. Well, I think that's a very good law. Well, you would, think, you, would, you would think, I mean, the intentions were good, but the result was we just paid everybody less. Oh, hmm. but equal maybe. Equal? <laughs> yes. So everybody made less, but at least they were equal. So I think equal is the, the predominant factor in this, I think. Yes. Um, okay. So when you're casting a pilot, even for Modern Family, and obviously that role was written, was it open, wide scope open? Do you, did you read actors with no credits or did you only read actors who had series regulars before? Sofia Vergara, where did she come from? Uh, Sofia Vergara had a holding deal at ABC. Ah. And she had done a show called uh, Nights of Prosperity that had Donna Logue. Mm. And she'd done some other things. She was known, but she had a holding deal at ABC. Um, Ed O'Neill was offered his. Let's just quickly tell what a holding deal is. Oh. I know what it is, but the audience might not. Okay, so it's where an actor, or they do it with writers as well, they sign a deal where they're paid to do a project for a specific network. We just don't know what the project is yet. And the holding deal is normally last six months, a year, something like that. And so they wanted Sofia Vergara on ABC. They just didn't know which pilot she was going to be a part of. But she still had to audition. No, it was <gasps> offered to her. Wow, I had no idea. Yeah. That's incredible. So they were so confident that they didn't even need to audition her. They just yeah. wanted to use the money that they've already paid her, basically? Or well, it's, it's separate? It's, it's weird. I think money-wise, it still comes out of the pilot's budget. Mm -hmm. And it just offsets what ABC's already paid her. But no, it was, I don't even think we did a list for that role. I think she was the one. And if she had said no, then we'd have been scrambling. 
Interesting. So back to those. So she had a holding down. What about everybody else? When you're casting pilots, not necessarily even for Modern Family, but for other pilots, um, do you open it up to a wider range? Well, it depends at what point in the process we are with the casting. I would say on day one, yeah. it's everybody that has proven that they know how to do the work that's on the list that you're trying to get. You know, it's, I always go with the example, when you go into McDonald's and you have a problem and you ask for the manager, you're looking for the 15 year old they gave a break to, or are you looking for somebody that can actually handle a managerial problem? Mm -hmm. And so we, you know, have these huge avail lists where we find out who's attached to something else, who's interested, who's not interested. And then there are some people that will be offer only. There's a lot of people that will start reading. And then if we get stuck or we get further along in the process, then we'll be reading people that we don't know. Although there will probably be people that will read that we know as casting, but the producers aren't familiar with. You know, in the studio and networks probably have an inkling of, but they're not a name from the studio's point of view. They're just a really good actor that, you know, Jeff or I know, mm -hmm. however we know them, through theater, through watching other TV shows, mm -hmm. through them auditioning for us repeatedly. Just somebody that we feel confident that they deserve a shot at it. And does it matter if they have one guest star, three co-stars on their resume? What if their resume only showed co-stars? Would you feel confident in bringing them in if you saw them in a theater piece and you really like their work? Would you just go for it? Or is that resume necessary? No, I think the resume helps you get in the room when we don't know who you are. Mm -hmm. If we know who you are and we have faith in you or we believe you're talented or, you know, like you said, if we've seen you in a play and we've seen you do, you know, two hours on stage, we're going to have confidence from having seen you do that. And the resume at that point for us is a footnote. Yeah. But when we when we don't know people and we're looking for people to bring in, you know, there's 150,000 actors in SAG-AFTRA. I will never know everybody. Right. So, and there's always, usually it's the New Yorkers. I'll discover somebody and I'll be like, who's this person? And then I see they've been doing it for 30 years, but they've been doing it in New York. So the right. only way I would get to know them is through seeing something they did on TV or a right. film. Right. Is there, have you discovered anybody that, just walked in and you didn't know them and you're like, holy moly, this kid, this person, this actor, this actress, this is it. Um, I wouldn't say discovered because I, I'm always a little humble about this. I think by the time they get to us, the agent or manager has already discovered them. Okay. Or they've done other work and they have a resume of some sort where somebody has seen their talent before we have. Right. Um, but the ones I remember, uh, Zasha Mamet came in and auditioned for Jeff, uh, shoot, when was this? is probably 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. And he was just so taken aback by her read that he just, he couldn't believe how good it was. And I couldn't even tell you, I can't remember what show she read for, I couldn't tell you what role, I just remember his feeling that it was spectacular. Mm. And the, the one I remember and sitting in on, uh, Millie Bobby Brown, who everybody now knows from Stranger yeah. Things. Yes. But, she did a co-star role, Modern Family season five. Mm. And I had seen her on a BBC America show called Intruders and she was great on it. And I was like, we got to get her in for something, anything. And even for a co-star role, you could just feel the talent that she has. It just kind of filled the room somehow. And it was just a vibe, a sense you got. Well, let's talk about that for a second. What is that vibe to fill the room? And I think that actors who come from theater understand that 
that because you have to resonate. You have to resonate your energy from your heart, from your soulfulness, and get it across. So how would, can you put that in words? I would say that, yes, you know, theater actors know how to fill a room in that way, and it's something you can get with training, but there's other people that it just comes from their talent, whatever they were born with. And for those, I would equate it to going to a museum and seeing a piece of art and somehow it just speaks to you. Mm. You can't say why it gives you feeling, this feeling, you know, maybe if you've got an art degree, you can analyze it, but there's just certain things that you're just drawn to, you know, in a room full of art. And that's, I think, some of the best actors. You're just drawn to them and you can't tell, you can't say why. It's just- It's their inner, it's their inner, it's that they've connected, that they're letting you in on their, on their life experiences. And Millie Bobby Brown is such an interesting young actress because she always, it always feels like she has like uh, secrets going on that you're not quite uh, sure. You're mm -hmm. not quite sure. And I think everybody attracts to someone who has a little bit of a secret going on. And I think that's intriguing and actors should think about that. Because yeah. if you have a little bit of a more of a layer, and that's in your preparation too, if it's not natural, like for her, it's probably a natural quality. And I have a lot of actors who have that natural quality, but you can have that in preparation. Don't yeah, you no, agree? I, no, I would agree with that. The secrets are a good thing to have. I, the, the secret thing resonates with me because it reminds me of uh, Michael Shirtless book. Mm-hmm. And I do, th I think people, actors sometimes take good advice and they go too far with it. Yeah. You know, I always go, the secret is not that you're a Nazi and nobody knows it. You know, <laughs> that film comes along once every thousand films, but you know, yeah. you could have secrets that are just part of your hidden agenda, agenda, your motivation that are influenced or you, you pick up on from the writing, not stuff you just make up out of thin air. But yeah, I think secrets are a great part. And let's talk about, honoring the text when you come into your you and jeff greenberg's office can we address that for a second because yes. i think your office feels as strongly about it as i do oh yes we believe very strongly that you should be word perfect and by word perfect i mean shakespeare mm -hmm. you know you don't add oh uh well so like you Agreed. don't add a you don't add a button in shakespeare or as i like to pronounce it but on <laughs> Because uh, I think you make a little of an ass of yourself when you do it. Uh, I agree. I, I know. And I, the reason I think it happens, some comes from, I know there's some people in town that advise actors to add a button. And I think that's a disservice. Of course, having worked on Modern Family for 11 years, if you could add a button and make that script better, then you should go be a writer, yes. not be an actor. But it's also, people have been told to be off book, which is great advice, but it makes a lot of them think they should leave the script in the waiting room, which it makes it harder when they don't have the tool for the audition. Plus you're not the writer. I agree. And it's, first of all, it's the writer's medium and you have to respect that text in order to tell that story. What I do tell actors for if they want to end it with a, with a beat, it's a thought or a behavior. You don't have to yes. put a verbal to it. Correct, correct. I, I agree that the physical or thought button, so to speak, is what you should do. But when you start making up words and making, adding extra phrases to the script, it's not an improv show. Does that throw you in the room? We would usually say that all was really good. Don't do that thing at the end, they won't hire you. Oh, okay, so you're blunt. <laughs> yeah, very blunt. And, and I've told actors this repeatedly, if they did it in a producer session and the, 
you know, producer, the writer and the director in the room like the person, but we still got to show the tape to other people. And they did a button. We will edit it off the tape before we send the tape to anybody else. Okay, that's good. Mm -hmm. and, and what about dressing? I mean, every casting office has different vibes and different opinions. So if you're dressing for the role, not that you're really casting in comedy, well, you probably cast some co-stars and guest stars that are doctors or, you know, cops or whatever. How do you feel about, uh, to me, it's the essence. To me, when people put on a uniform, I'm just, it's too much. They're trying too hard. What's your opinion on that? Well, I think there's a happy medium where if it's a blue collar role, you can wear a t-shirt and jeans. If it's a lawyer, you know, you don't have to do a whole coat and tie, especially if it's 105 degrees outside, like but you should at least be wearing a dress shirt and slacks. So essence, just an essence. Yeah, exactly. Rub it in your face. What about for a cop though? What about for a nurse? Some shows actually say, yes, wear scrubs. I don't understand that, but some people do have that opinion. Yeah, I think with the, with, I will go with the nurse. I've seen people come in in scrubs and it's just such a thing that we expect to happen occasionally that it doesn't throw us. Oh, it doesn't? And if, no, just because in that case, it happens repeatedly. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe the first time somebody sees the actor show up in the nurse's scrubs, you're like, what's going on? But I'm telling you, every we have a nurse role once a year and somebody shows up in scrubs, if not more than one person. If we have a waiter role, they all like to show up with their waiter apron from their day job along with their, you know, pad where they- hey, How do you feel about that? Is that too much or is that just servicing them and make them feel more comfortable in the role? And does it guide you in one way or the other? You don't judge it. No, I, in those two specific instances, I don't judge it. I think it probably does help them feel more in line with it, especially somebody that's got a day job as a waiter, they're going to feel weird if they're not wearing what they wear every day as a waiter. But I don't, the only way, it doesn't decide who gets the role. We're not like, oh, those two people were great. And that person came in costume, let's cast them. But if it does help the actor bring it to life more, sure. But there's other times, I'll give you an example where you just don't, don't, please don't. Okay. Uh, <laughs> on Modern Family, we had uh, Phil and Claire ended up in a little nudist enclave in Palm Springs. <laughs> don't come in naked. Don't yes. come in naked and don't disrobe in the middle of the audition. Oh. And, and I don't care if you're wearing shorts underneath or what you're wearing underneath. The minute you start undoing the pants, I'm putting the sides up and doing like an Austin Powers bit where I'm just, you know, moving the sides yeah. strategically just in case. Oh, it's so uncomfortable. Nobody yeah. needs to see anybody undress no. in a room. But and that's, people, they do it. Yeah, they do because they're going for it. You yeah, know? yeah. And no, please don't. It just made me so uncomfortable. Do you, do you tell them to stop though? And that will that affect the the callback or the booking? Do you think? Or I would. Say, uh, I'm trying to remember exactly what happened. I think. It was such a quick co-star role that in the time it would take you to say, don't do that, the scene's going to be over. Yeah. So you just, yeah. you know, let it be gone. But if they were doing it a second time, I think we said, just pantomime this time, please. And you'd let them do it a second time if the work was good. If, yeah, the, work if the work was, was good. good and they did it, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, because also I get from having been an actor way back in the day, I get actors are just going for it or they might have had some bad advice that caused them to make a mistake mm -hmm. and so I you know there's very few things that are like a deal breaker yeah if you're if you're doing good work but you broke this one bit of protocol 
well, then I'll just tell you what the protocol is and ask you not to do it again. And that's simple enough. And, you know, let's talk about that because actors get so nervous and I don't blame them. I used to be an actor to walk into a room and to have that energy, you know, sometimes it's really great energy. Sometimes it's icicle energy and it's so important just not to sponge through it. I mean, not to sponge off of it and to work through it and let us know that I'm talking to you and I think you're awesome that casting directors are on the side of the actor and there seems to be this feeling like it's not a lot of the time, but it is. Yeah. I, th I think the disconnect comes from what you're saying. When actors come in, if they're doing the job well, their shields are down, they're raw, they're vulnerable. So if somebody's having a bad day on the other side of the table, the actor automatically thinks it's their fault. Yes. As opposed to, we're just human like everybody else. We have bad days, we have good days. We try to be polite. Sometimes we get in a hurry and hurry sometimes seems rude and it's not meant that way. And I, I go, I want the actor to be good because if I have to read more actors for the role, I don't get to go home and see my wife for dinner. And you don't and get paid anymore. Correct. <laughs> it's, it's that simple is we want yeah. you to be good because our job is easier when, we, when actors are doing their job to the best of their ability. Can we talk for a second, I'm segueing, because you guys do a lot of comedy. And there is a big difference between single camera comedy and multi-cam uh, when you're doing it. Is there a, big, a difference when you're coming in for an audition? Is it a, a vocal tone or do you care if, it's, if it resonates in the same? Do you want, like the Je Jeffries, that you're, the show you're casting now, and is that multi-cam? I believe it is. Yeah, it's multi-cam. So when actors come in for that versus Modern Family, which is single cam, is there a, an adjustment actors are making? Yeah, well, there's, I think the easiest way to put it is there's just a little more energy to multicam. It's a little more presentational, but they both should still be connected, you know, 100% grounded. I like to say anchored to your, yeah. you know, your essence and your core. But I think the multicam is just a little more energy energy in your vocal tones. And, but it seems to me in, in when I teach multicam that if there's a setup and there's a backup and there's a joke and there's teamwork that it's just, it lilts up just a little bit more for that joke. However, you don't want to be fake about that joke delivery. It all, it's all at the end of the day, the same thing, but it seems to me in single camera that the internal thoughts and the agenda, like you're thinking one thing and then you're saying another really relationship subtly based and multicam seems a little bit more like it's game on and you're including everyone in the entire world with that twinkle in your eye while you're talking to another person. Does any of that make sense? <laughs> it, it does. I think for me, the timing of it, you know, mm -hmm. the, the making the role come to life and making it real and understanding the relationships with the characters, all that I think comes first. Mm -hmm. And then what you're talking about comes into play if for some reason that's not working. Because mm -hmm. uh, I, I made me think of uh, uh, James Burroughs and uh, I can't remember who the actor was. They were saying all his note was, was just turn your head like this. Just turn your head like this, trust me, it'll work. And they turned their head like that and where they didn't get laughs the first time, they got guffaws the second time. And it's something that he sees so easily because of how much experience he's had. He's directed 10,000 episodes of TV. Incredible. Yeah. And so, no, I think that does come into play. But uh, for me, it's the timing, it's the pace, it's the relationships mm -hmm. that are what I'm drawn to with comedy 
more so than uh, good jokes. Oh, I never want people to hit the jokes. It's all about that relationship. That really mm -hmm. is the payoff of that relationship. Either you're the setup or you're the joke, and it's teamwork together. Let's talk really quickly about, um, wait, I'm sorry, I'm going to segue back. So if someone does a read for your uh, for a multicam and they're reading it more dramatically and then single cam, but the pacing is off. Will you work with them or you just go, mm, they don't understand the pacing? Well, it's going to depend on a number of things. If they're the first person to read for the role, they're more likely to get notes because we don't know how many good people we're going to have throughout the session. Right. And so that's a truism. It depends on if it also depends if the pilot series regular role, are we at the start of the process where we know we've got 100 more people to read, or are we have we gone through all the known quantities and now we're seeing people we don't know and we need to work with them more? You know, those are all part of the equation. How close are they with everything else that we think this note will work? Because it is true, some people just aren't funny. And it's a tr and I hate to say it, and the ones that aren't funny are the ones that want to do comedy the most. <laughs> But you know what? I'm going to have to disagree because if people train in comedy, there's quirkiness to everybody. They might not be as funny, but if you really work on that muscle, everyone will find it. They might come into your office and not be training in it. And if you're not training in comedy and you're not funny naturally, you're not going to be funny. But if you really work that muscle, I believe it. I've worked with so many unfunny people who by the end of six months of training, they're quirky. And that true essence, they found it and it allows them to be free and yeah. a little funny. Well, it, uh, it does come, I would think, maybe I should have said it comes easier to some than others. Yes. That might be a nicer way to put it. I think so. I think everyone has potential, but you know what? Some people are naturally funny, but it's interesting because some stand-up comics who are incredibly funny don't understand how to make that written word funny. So there's training to that. Correct. And I always uh, would use examples. I mean, it was really big in the 80s and 90s where you had Seinfeld playing Seinfeld. You had Ray Romano playing Ray Romano. You had Roseanne playing Roseanne. You know, Rodney Carrington playing Rodney Carrington. Recently, you had Gerard Carmichael playing Gerard Carmichael. Uh, although Gerard was playing kind of a character, but it still, it was his stand-up. It was all built around him. Mm -hmm. So I think some of the best sitcoms with stand-up stars are based around stuff they know and then somebody like Ray Romano does that to start with and then gets into acting, you know, hardcore. He actually has become an incredible actor. And yes. I'm gonna let you in a little secret. When I was an actress, I did a guest spot on Everybody Loves Raymond. And I think it was towards the beginning of the season. And guess what? In between takes, cause I was always the actor who was watching and learning and, and really absorbing. When the stage was on uh, blackout and they were there, this, it wasn't set up for taping, Guess who was on set rehearsing? Ray Romano. He wanted nice. really, really worked hard. He's a great actor now, and he put the work in. I, re I remember when I first got to town, and I was doing background work on the practice. Oh, my God. And, and holding area for us was one of the courtroom sets. Yeah. And I'm sitting there in one of the pews of the courtroom, and Dylan McDermott came in and was rehearsing his closing argument for that episode. And... He didn't care who was in there. He was working his craft. He was preparing. And that, I, that stuck in my mind. It's preparation. And all my series regulars that train with me, they are practice, 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 rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. And it's so, it's so wonderful that that happens, that you don't take it for granted at any level of your acting, because at the end of the day, it's the artistry. It's your yeah. storytelling. 
And you can't do it without rehearsing and making somebody else's words your own. So on the Jeffries, can we talk about that right now? Are you in casting sessions now? Is it done? Is it, is the pilot done? What's the, what's, um, what's going on with that? And then I want to deal with, uh, COVID. So there's no in room and your whole world has changed. Mm -hmm. So with Jeffries, we finished the casting in March. It was completely cast. Mm -hmm. uh, we were about to have the table read and that's when everything shut down. Oh. And so then once NBC tried to figure out what they were doing for the fall and where everything was going to uh, land. Uh, Jeffrey's got pushed to 2021 mm -hmm. and they have released the cast, but <gasps> I know, but oh <laughs> wait, what does but, that mean? Wait, wait, st oh, sorry. Does that mean they released the cast? So they all got a series and it's, and it's Jim Jeffries. He's a yes. comic, isn't he? Yeah. Well, I don't think they released Jeffries since he's also uh, executive producer. Right, but, and Ben Grant and Anthony Paglia, all these oh, wonderful actors, so. Correct. So they had a holding fee through the end of June, and they just didn't get paid an additional holding fee to keep them on the project. But uh, it's been pushed to 2021, and when it starts coming back, fingers crossed, I imagine every one of those actors would be invited back and be saying, we'd love you to still be a part of this. Hopefully, they'll still be available. Oh, yeah. such a heartbreak. Oh. Yes. Uh, yes, it can't be to take a lot of effort to find people and then have to start over. And then for those actors who are celebrating that they're, they got a pilot, which it's, it's hard work for any level actor out there, that you get mm. it and then it stops. Yeah. I feel Yes. It, pilot season takes some emotional fortitude to go through as an it, actor. How do you think it's going to affect pilot season? Because production is trickling back now do you think pilot season when covid when there's a cure you know there's a i mean not a cure but there's a you know a vaccine and people are feeling safer and it kind of lessens do you think it's changed the rhythm now that it's going to be busier to catch up for the next two years um i don't hmm, i don't know i think okay. it will be close to the same what i've heard that could change is instead of doing a bunch of pilots they do a little more curating of the pilots and try to go straight to series with stuff. Oh. Because they ended up doing that with some of the uh, pilots this time around where some of them didn't film and they decided to take them to series. I believe that's correct from what I read. Oh, interesting. I wonder what shows that was that were. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, and, and then there were some that they actually, I think already ordered a series and they canceled them <laughs> before they even got on the air. Oh. I'd have to go back and look at my notes to remember which ones those were. What do you think the best place for actors to find their information? Because it's very important for actors to keep abreast of all the shows. Is it Deadline? What would you suggest? Yeah, I would say Deadline.com to just see what's going on in news in general. Mm -hmm. And then if they're trying to figure out what's on TV and be familiar with all the shows on TV because you never know when you might get an audition for that show. Right. I go to the Futon Critic. Oh, yes. And I use that every week to see what shows are premiering that week. And it shows me everything on Netflix, everything on all the streamers. Yes. It, uh, and it allows me to actually sample a little bit of everything just so I can keep up to speed. So can we, and I heard everything you just said, but I want to segue into this question. What are your pet peeves what should we know about you when auditioning, when there's a tape to be sent in, or when it comes back to in-room? What's your little pet peeves? Do you have any, or are you just open <laughs> to anything? Tell us. 
No, I, I'm sure I have a lot of pet peeves. He laughs. I, I know there is. I, <laughs> yeah, no, I laugh because I can tell you all the pet peeves or I can tell you the basis for all the pet peeves because I actually thought about it and I went, why do all these things irritate me? Okay, it's, great. <laughs> it's wasted time. Uh. And you might waste half a second, two seconds of my time, but if you're the hundredth person that day to do it, then you're the one that feels I might not be as polite as I could otherwise be. I, I'll give you a couple of examples. And yes, this all yes. comes from in real life. Yes. I would come out for the next uh, actor and go, oh, do you have a headshot with you? Because we were old school. We liked actors to have headshots with them. And they go, oh, I didn't know I needed one. Uh, what? You didn't know you needed one. That's true. <laughs> or they'd be like, oh, I'll get my agent to send it over. Great. And then I'll print it out. Yeah. That's, more work. That's more work. Uh, you know, or they'll be signed in and they'll be in the, in the restroom. And I'm not going to bridge anybody that needs to use the restroom. But go to the restroom first, then sign in. Yeah. You know, and it's all these little things that cause delays. What about, what about in the room if they start again? How do you feel about that? Should it just breeze through, suck it up, grab your thoughts and continue? I think if an actor starts on the wrong foot, they should stop pretty quickly and make certain they're on the right track. Because if you're not on the right track, you sometimes can't get onto the right track. But I also say the way to figure out if you should do something again is every actor is going to think they're not going as well as they want to. It's just a truism. So mm -hmm. you've got to look at the people. You've got to get a vibe for the room to see if they also seem to not be interested or not going in. I'm one of those crazy people that wear sandals in the office. So if you see my toes curl, start over. <laughs> well, you guys, that's a really important piece of information. Yeah. So everyone's going to walk into your room and just be looking at the floor, looking at but your I, I think there's three questions an actor has to ask themselves and they got to answer them in the blink of an eye before they start over. Okay. One, is it really going as badly as I think? Or am I just being an actor? Right. Two, what's going wrong? You know, I got a feeling something's going wrong. What actually is going wrong? Three, how would I fix it? Mm -hmm. And you got to answer those three questions in the blink of an eye before you decide to start over. Because a lot of actors feel it's going wrong, start over, and then do the same damn thing they did before. Or get worse. Oh, yeah. Or if, you do, if you do start over, you better be freaking better. You better start over. Now, yeah. what about actors that they're almost to the end and they go, yeah, I'm going to start again. Waste of time? Um, it becomes awkward yeah. because at that point, we're either going to ask them to do it again because we think there's potential mm -hmm. or we're thinking it's too far off and we're just going to say, thank you, we've seen enough. And they've kind of stepped in and stepped on our job. Yeah. And so they, if they're close to the end, they should just get to the end and see what we say and then reassess. I will say in 15 years of doing this, I've only seen one actor uh, feel they did a bad job, circle back to the office, ask to do it again, and then do better and actually book the job. Yeah. That's one in 15 years. I think usually your best bet is just to walk away and live to fight another day. And at the end, when actors are done and they've just streamlined through it, do, is it, how do you feel when actors say, okay, can we work this for a second? I missed a couple beats. How do you feel about that? Or you just like to finish and say thank you? I, I think they have to really know why they're taking that risk of asking to do it again. Because it's a risk because we've already made up our mind of what, we want to do. And if we're going to ask you to do it again, 
but you step in and ask to do it, then we're like, well, why are we here? Yeah. Okay. And if we thought you shouldn't do it again for various reasons, some of which could be you're not right, and we thought you were from the headshot, but we see you in person and you're not right, it doesn't matter how many times you do it, you're not what the producers want, then you're wasting that shot that you really should only take very infrequently. That is incredible advice. Um, what are uh, some advice you have for actors that are just getting started? I think and they're how just- how they find you? How can they find you? How, does, how do people get into your office? Jeff's oh. office. <laughs> I have heard that it seems to be difficult from the actor's point of view, and, uh, but yeah, I don't yeah. see that. I don't see that point of view, but I can tell you that the many different ways is yeah. you're, in a, you're in a play that Jeff goes, sees, goes and sees. Yeah. That's yeah. led to many an actor coming in for a general meeting and then uh, potentially booking a role. You know, I watch a lot of TV. If you're on a TV show, I might see you or notice you. I'm also on social media. Uh, but actors, <laughs> actors contact me via Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. But how, how do they contact you? By giving a compliment or just say, hey, I want to come in for you? Are they blunt saying I want to come in for you? What is, what is that? Well, I think if they're sending me an email, because I have an email address that's published on my website, it's really hard website to find. It's alanhooper.com. Uh, but they'll send me an email and go, hey, please add me to your files. You know, here's my headshot, here's my resume, here's my, you know, demo reel. That's fine. The ones oh. that irritate me are the ones that email me and go, hey, can I send you my headshot and my resume? Well, just send it. <laughs> okay, well, that's great information for everybody. So, alanhooper.com, your email is going to be on there, guys, if you're listening right now. Take advantage. But do they send a picture, resume, and reel? Yeah, sure. Because the, the reels are links, so it doesn't matter how big it is. That reel better be good. What, how long should a reel be, Alan? Tell us. Uh, it's not how long, it's how good it should be. Okay, because you're so, going to whatever you don't want to watch. Well, yeah, but if they've got one good clip, that's better than three clips that show range, the range being mediocre, great, not good. So one great. Yeah, well, I mean, you, if you've got two great clips, it's going to be two great clips. But if you, I had a friend of mine, she wanted me to look at her demo reel and said, hey, uh, what do you think? And this is where my example comes from. I say, uh, get rid of the first clip, the last clip, just the middle clip. That's all you need. She yeah. goes, I want to show them range because they were different roles, yeah. but it was student film, professional production, maybe, you know, a, you know, a webisode or something. Yep. And so the quality of the, the other two were not as good. I said, just send them the one. And it's always better to make us want to see more than to convince us we don't need to see more. I agree. I 100% agree because I've, I've looked at actors' tapes as well. And the, I actually said to one actor who had like two seconds on a, on a uh, HBO show, I said, that's all you need. Get rid of all this other nonsense. Yeah. There's a story that Kevin Costner got noticed initially from doing a AT&T or some long distance commercial, 30 seconds of video, no dialogue. And somebody saw it and went, I got to find that guy. See? The inner, it's the inners, it's your inner true essence, your authentic self every time. Don't you agree? Yes, no, I do agree. Okay, we're gonna close out with three pieces of inspiration. I, we didn't even go over the three before, but what can you let actors know out there um, to stay on track, to stay in a positive mindset? What kind of inspiration can we close out on for everybody? I would say be careful who is in your circle of acquaintances and friends because there can be a lot of negative energy, a lot of naysayers that 
try to blame outside forces for things that they should be controlling in their own life. And if you start feeling helpless, I mean, there are things that actors can't control, but if you get fixated on things you can't control, then you'll think there's nothing you can bring to it to overcome those obstacles. Incredible, what else? One other thing. Um, well, I'll, I'll give you an example of that really quickly. When I first moved to town, I was in an acting class and we were all hanging out afterwards and there was an actor afterwards and she was going, oh, I've been here a year. I don't know how to get my SAG card. I don't know what to do. And I didn't know yet that you weren't supposed to help your fellow actors in Hollywood. You are supposed to help them. That's I, no, I was being sarcastic. But I Thank went over and said, well, here's what I've been told to do to get your SAG card. Here's what I'm trying to do. And like a month later, uh, might've been two months later, we're hanging out after class and she's like, oh, I've been in LA for 14 months. I don't have my SAG card. I don't know what to do. And I'm going, are you kidding me? Not only did I tell you what to do, I have my SAG card in my pocket right now. Yeah. That's, that's the energy I'm telling people to be careful of. The you don't want soul suckers. You want, you, you just want, I always talk about having the positive energy bubble and don't let anybody pop it. So you can have people that are give you constructive criticism and that are supportive of you and then you can have arguments with people and you can still keep them in your world but those soul suckers that you feel good around their energy and then when they leave you feel depleted and like you felt depleted from her because you gave so much great advice and she didn't listen so it depletes yeah, yeah. so and it's just you have to focus on the positive you can't get all pollyanna-ish but yeah. you have to realize it's not easy for anybody. And the minute you start thinking, well, that person had it easier, that person, then the jealousy comes in and it all falls apart. And you've got your path to get to where you're going and they have theirs. And some people are gonna be more successful, some will be less, but if you're enjoying what you're doing, if you're living the dream of being a working actor, then what's the rest matter? I love it. Incredible advice. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate your time so much. And guys, stay out there and stay courteously aggressive. Alan, be safe, be well. And one more thing I'm going to tell everybody, vote. <laughs>